right, Jim, can you hear me? Testing. Yes. All right. Hunter, can you hear me? Hello. All righty. Put you back on me. Marlo, can you hear me? Marlo, can, can you hear me? Testing. Good evening. Welcome to Clifford and Friends. We have a great show for you tonight. And we have some great people on the line with us. I want you to, first of all, welcome tonight in this new year, my co-host, Jim Waddell. Tell him hello, Jim. Hey, hey, how we doing today? All righty. And um, we also have a special young lady we're going to introduce her a little later on, and she's going to help us co-host tonight as well. Now, as always, we always review the mission of our show, and the mission of our show is to bring the very best in women's athletics and HBCU sports, and so we're going to give it to you tonight. Now, I want to introduce one of our co-hosts tonight, a young lady... I understand from the University of Miami and uh, Hunter, come on in, tell our listeners your full name and tell them what your major was. And we want to welcome you to the show. Uh, first and foremost, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, my full name is Hunter Hawkins, and I actually majored in um, sport administration, but I got my minor in broadcast journalism and creative writing. Wonderful. Well, we are, we are so glad to have you. And, um, you know, just feel free to chime in. We're, we're easy going here. Uh, we have one more co-host. Uh, we've kind of unofficially drafted her, but she's been with us every show so far. And that's Dr. Marlo Kemp. So say hello, Marlo. Good evening, everyone. Happy New Year's. Hopefully everyone is doing well. All righty. And uh, so normally, and no exception tonight, we want to speak of our Women of the Month. And that Women of the Month, this month, is none other than Pat Head Summit, the legendary 
late coach of the Tennessee Vols. Pat Summit, born June 14, 1952, in Clarksville, Tennessee. And she passed June 28, 2016, at the age of 64. She was a basketball player, played for UT Martin from 1970 to 1974. And she was hired as the Tennessee Volunteer Ladies Coach of Basketball, 1974 to 2012. Let me state this. She started coaching two years after Title IX went into effect. Her head coaching record, overall 1,098 wins, 208 losses for 84 percentage of winning. Her accomplishments and honors, eight national championships, Division I basketball, 18 NCAA regional champions, championships. She also coached in the SEC, the Southeastern Conference. She won that tournament 16 times. She also won the regular season 16 times. She was awarded in 2012 by President Barack Obama, the Presidential Medal of Freeman, Sports Illustrated, Sportswoman of the Year in 2011. 2008, the John R. Wooden Legends of Coaching Award. Naismith, coach of the 20th century in 2000, and five times she also won that award. She also was the AP Coach of the Year in 1998, and she was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame and the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2000. She's had numerous coaching stints on the international scene, and we'll go into that later on this month. But let me tell you where she stands amongst all coaches. Sporting News. In 2009, Place Coach Summit, number 11th ranked on the 50th greatest coaches of all time in any sport. She was the only woman on that list. So we are elated to honor this month our coach of the month, none other than the late Pat Head Summit. Now, I have a sad note to report. Just found this out. Tennis great Martina Navratilova has been diagnosed with throat and breast cancer. Martina Navratilova was a champion, is a champion like none other. Martina won 59 major titles in her career. Martina also won 18 Grand Slams. And Jim, I want you to chime in and just tell me, tell us some things of what you think about Martina Navratilova, her greatness in tennis, and some of her great rivalries uh, in her time in the 80s and even early 70s, Jim. Well, Cliff, first thing I wanted to say was something about Pathead Summit. 
her favorite line was, you win in life with people. Now, about Martina Navratilova, I would say that she probably, before Serena came along, was probably the best tennis player we had ever seen. I mean, her her service and volley were like none other. Yeah. She was in a she was always in attack mode. I, I often ask a question. Oh, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I always wanted to see uh, her and Serena play. I always went through my mind because both were power players with touch and um, service power with touch. And I just wondered where that would end up. And so, uh, you know, but hey, she'll fight this like everything else she's fought in life. And this Czechoslovakian born tennis player is truly uh, a legend. And we're gonna continue to pull for her. We're gonna continue to pray for her. And uh, I'm gonna ask Marlo, I'm gonna ask Marlo to give us just a word about Martina Navratilova. Just by watching uh, Martina in the past, um, she's definitely a great uh, tennis player, one of the best up there amongst um, Serena, Billie Jean, Chris Evert. Um, one of the ones you know, that would always draw you in to watch um, Wimbledon, the tennis matches. Um, she is definitely one of the greats. Um, and we will definitely be praying for her that she will get through this, this battle, you know, that she is facing. Um, but with everything else, I'm sure she's preparing and, and is prepared you know, to face this um, as everything that she has done in the past. She's definitely amongst the greats and I appreciate watching her in the past. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Marlo. Now, we want to move on to uh, an advertisement, if you will. Next week on our show, we have two very special guests that we're going to be interviewing. The first half an hour, it's Miss Terry Williams, known in the basketball world as a triple threat. She was an All-American at Virginia Tech and drafted in the 2001 WNBA draft. But she's so much more than a basketball player. She has an extensive singing career. She played professional basketball overseas. And she's also a scientist and about to graduate from Albert Einstein with a PhD in immunology. She has the whole package and she's gonna bring some interesting insights into women playing overseas, but she's so versatile. We also gonna talk about women and women of color or girls of color getting into the STEM subjects. And, and Marla, we know that you're a scientist as well, but uh, that's Dr. soon to be Dr. Terry Williams. That's the first half an hour interview at eight o'clock. And then at 8.30, we have the Fisk University men's coach, none other than basketball legend, Kenny Anderson, the number two player taken in the 1991 NBA draft. 
played 14 years, all-star. And if you go back in his history, considered one of the one best one or two players to ever come out of New York City as a guard. So we are looking forward. Terry Williams and Kenny, Coach Kenny Anderson. Please, please, please spread the word. All righty. Now, this past week, as we continue to highlight our women in this segment, there was a birthday, December 31st, 1995. There was this American artist gymnast. And in the 2012 Olympics, she was an all-around champion. In 2015, world all-around silver medalist. She was a member of the gold-winning teams at both the 2012 and 2016 Summer Olympics. This group was dubbed the Fierce Five and the Final Five by the media. She was also a member of the gold-winning American teams of the 2011 and 2015 World Championships. That is none other than Gabrielle Douglas. She was a trailblazer. She was the first African-American women to win this gold, and she opened up the way for greats like Simone Biles. Now, I'm going to keep on while we're on gymnastics. History is about to be made this week. Fisk University, Nashville, Tennessee, was the first historically black college and university that would be competing in gymnastics at the NCAA level. They're heading to Las Vegas January 6th, and they will be competing in a gymnastics program with Oklahoma, Michigan, and UCLA. This two-day invitational is going to be held January 6th and January 7th. I want to say congratulations to head coach Kareen Tarver, Fisk University. She also is the athletic director at Fisk University, along with being the gymnastics coach. Now, Kareen Tarver, or Coach Tarver, also made history herself. In 1989, she was the first black to be a gymnast to win an NCAA all-around event at the University of Georgia. And she was the first black to be on the University of Georgia's gymnastics team. So Coach Kareem Tarver, continue to be a trailblazer, continue to make history. And we are extremely, extremely proud of you. Jim, give us your opinion and tell us some more about the gymnastics team. You had a chance to see them at homecoming. Put on just a little bit, just a little bit exhibition. Jim, tell us about Fisk Gymnastics and what it's bringing to HBCU. Well, I'll, I'll say one other thing. They're going to be at the University of Michigan on January 13th. And I know a lot of the Detroit Fist guys were planning on going up there to see them. What I saw at Fisk and on the, um, I forget the talk show host's name, but I Jennifer saw them on the talk show. And Jennifer they were very, they're very good. 
girl and signed with Oklahoma, and then she decided after finding out that Fisk was going to have a gymnastics team to come to the HBCU school to uh, compete. I think they'll, they'll be very dynamic. They'll make us proud. Most definitely. Most definitely. We're rooting for you. Coach Kareem Tarver, Fisk University Women's Gymnastics. Now, we have some more for you to highlight doing our women's highlighting segment. The CIAA Central Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, the oldest and largest of our five historically black colleges that we highlight or conferences that we highlight. They're doing something this year at their annual basketball tournament, which will be held in Baltimore, Maryland from February 21st through February 26th. They always have a Hall of Fame inductee. But this year is the first year the whole class going in will be women athletes. All right? They're honoring on the 50th anniversary of, of Title IX, Allison Dobbins, Bowie State, Jessica Hawkins, Shaw University, Laureen Hill, Fayetteville State University, Barbara Pierre from St. Augustine's University, as well as the 1988 Hampton University women's basketball team. So I want to say congratulations to these women and congratulations to the CIAA for doing this very important thing and taking this very important step. Now, we have one more for you, Jim. One more for your team and one more for the audience. And that is the MEAC Conference. We've been talking about Title IX. The MEAC Conference is the leading conference from our five historically black colleges and universities to hire women in the athletic directorship position. There's a female commissioner, and out of the eight schools, five of them have female athletic directors. So I just want to say again, congratulations to the MEAC conference. And here are the, the athletic direct directors. Tara A. Owens, Maryland Eastern Shore. Alicia Shields, Gatson, Delaware State. Melanie Webb is going to be at Norfolk State. Dina Freeman, Morgan State, and Keisha Campbell at South Carolina State. Congratulations, ladies. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Ms. Hunter, give us your opinion of what you think about the progress of women in the athletic director positions as this is in, uh, increasing in our conferences and across the country. I think it's great. I think we still have so much longer to go, though. Um, five is not enough, right? Like, I think that um, we have to be willing to give women opportunities. And until men see women as equals, um, continue to see them as equals, I think that that number is going to stay, like, low. And I think that we have to be better 
at advocating for women to be in those positions. Yes. And, and, and Ms. Hunter, uh, we had a, a guest on December 12th, Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton. She was one of our pioneers after Title IX. She's coming back on February 9th for part two. And she's going to talk to us about how Title IX has not worked well enough for minority women. So you're right. The battle continues. And thank, thank you very much for that comment. We're going to take a one-minute commercial break, music commercial break, and then we'll be back with part two. All righty. Thank you. back and we're going to talk one conference tonight the MIAC women uh, middle e mid eastern athletic conference not a lot of action over the uh holidays but we're going to give you the standings and as we know teams are just now getting into the real season the conference schedule and uh let's talk about the MIAC Norfolk State is leading the conference. They are 11 and 3 overall. Morgan State, they are 7 and 6 overall. North Carolina Central, they are 5 and 9 overall. The Howard Bison, Bisons, they are 4 and 9 overall. Maryland Eastern Shore, 4 and 10 overall. Coppin State Three and twelve overall, Delaware State two and nine overall, and South Carolina State is having a tough time. They are one and thirteen overall. Now, let's talk about our leading scores. 
Destiny How from Howard. She's averaging 16 points a game. Marcy Staples, Coppin State, 14.3 points per game. Janiah Hansen, 14.1 points per game. Jewel Watkins, Coppin State, 14.1 points per game. Christine Shepard from Morgan State, and she's averaging 12.5 points per game. And let's look at the assist leaders from Norfolk State. Deja Francis, 3.6 assists per game. Kanaya Harris, 3.5 points per game. Hope Evans, 2.9 points per game. Kiara Lowry, 2.9 points per game. And Tippy Robertson from North Carolina Central, 2.8, excuse me, assists per game. Is there assists per game? Excuse me. I want to stay on the MEAC conference tonight, and we want to start highlighting these conference tournaments. This conference tournament will be held in Norfolk, Virginia. And it's going to be held from March 8th through March 11th at the Scope Arena. It's very important that we get out and support our HBCUs, basketball, conference tournaments. Also, all of our tournaments always have a day where plenty of recruiters are there that can accept students on the spot who may be interested in HBCUs. So if you know any students that's interested in the HBCU, find out the day, or we'll find it out for you, that the recruiters from each of those colleges will be at the tournaments. Now, that's the MEAC. And we already talked about the CIAA. The third conference tournament will be held the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference Tournament, and it will be held in Jackson, Mississippi. And it's going to be held February 23rd through the 26th. That's the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. So if you want to go see or want students to find out about Oakwood, Fisk, Philander Smith, or any of the other schools, take them down to the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference, research it. All those schools will have recruitment day there. And then the SIAC, SIAC, the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference Basketball Tournament, it's going to be held February 25th through March 1st. And it's going to be held on the campus of one of its schools, Savannah State University. It's very important. If you want students to find out or if they're interested in going to one of these schools, take them to the SIAC tournament. And there's one more, the SWAT Conference, Southwestern Athletic Conference. Its basketball tournament <coughs> will be held in Birmingham, Alabama at the Bartow Arena. And it's between March 8th through March 11th. Now, we're going to be repeating this as each week goes on because we want our audience informed how they can meet our schools at a basketball tournament, but also the recruiters if they have students that are interested in going there. Unlike football, the basketball tournaments are the only tournaments 
that you can get all of our schools in a conference in one place. So let's stay informed. Let's stay on top of this. We definitely, definitely will be bringing this up again. Now, I have one segment I want to talk about, and I want everybody to chime in. We lost a player, and Jim, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it now. We lost an icon in the world of soccer. His name was Pelé. He brought soccer to the world. He died at 82, past few days, colon cancer, and he was from Brazil. And I'm going to ask, I remember my first introduction to soccer came from Pelé. Uh, Jim, and then we'll ask Marlo, and we'll ask Hunter. Hunter may, he's kind of young. We'll see. What do you know about and how can we honor Pelé? Jim, I'll let you go first. Well, Pelé, my first memory of soccer was watching him play for the New York Cosmos in the 70s when they were trying to bring soccer to the USA, and they would regularly have crowds with 60,000 at the Meadowlands. Pelé won three World Cups, the only player to ever do this. 1958, 1962, 1970, voted as one of the 100 most influential people of the 20th century, credited with the phrase calling soccer the beautiful game. After winning the World Cup in 1958, it was thought that he would go play in Europe, but the Brazilians kept him to play with his local club, Santos. He retired in, I believe, 74. But in 1975, he came out of retirement to play with the Cosmos. He played three years with the Cosmos, winning the championship in 1977. He ended his career, and I believe in 1978, playing in an uh, exhibition game between Santos, his Brazilian club, and the Cosmos, where he played one half of each team. Hmm. He, was, he became the Brazilian Minister of Sports in 1995. And he was widely considered the best soccer player of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Marlo, we're going to come to you next. Your thoughts on Pelé? Oh, I remember Pelé growing up um, younger, when I was younger, uh, watching soccer. And um, he was my introduction really to, to soccer, to football, as they, you know, with what they call their football. Um, and it was because of him that I would actually would at least um, be interested in the game. And he is definitely uh, a pioneer of the game. One of definitely one of the greats. Um, and, and when you say soccer or football, then definitely his name is synonymous with, uh, with the game. And he is definitely one of the greats will definitely be missed um and we definitely have to give him the highest one of the highest honors thank you i'm gonna ask miss hunter our youngest member of the crew have you have you heard in your generation much about play um i mean honestly i i haven't but at the same time like you read up on him and i think he's one of the most influential people to like help grow the game of soccer um and I mean, my introduction to soccer was playing at like six, seven years old, whatever it was. But um, 
just the fact that he's had such a great impact on this game um, and the way that he played and the way that he helped grow the game. I mean, something like that is honestly going to be missed. Um, and I think that when you listen to the soccer players today talk about what an influential person he was to them, I think he's done all he did all that he could um, and helping grow the game and, you know, turning it into what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ms. Hunter. Now, we have one uh, statement from Jeff in the chat box before we go to commercial, and it's going back to basketball. Now, Jeff knows he actually played in some of these leagues as a youngster against Kenny Anderson, our guest next week. And Jeff says, New York City's top guards, Kenny Anderson, Rod Strickland, I believe played for DePaul in college, and Chris Mullen, who came out of St. John's, I believe he was a member of the dream team as a pro, not in any particular order, but certainly Kenny Anderson is among the best. And I guess you'd have to throw Mark Jackson in, in there too. But thanks Jeff for those comments and continue to keep educating us about what's going on in New York City. We're gonna take a break and Jim, when we come back, we're gonna let you take us through some more facts. Be back, 60 seconds. Welcome back. Jim, let's talk about some men's sports, even though we already started with Pelé. All righty. Uh, we did the MEAC last week, so I had the swag. And, you know, with the turn of the new year, kids going back to school for second semester, you were getting into league games. So some key games this week for the SWAC are going to be uh, Bethune-Cookman and Sam. You get together with their annual rivalry. Grambling at uh, Prairie View. Southern at TSU, Texas Southern. Grambling at Texas Southern. Uh, FAMU goes to Southern, and Jackson State goes to Alabama State. Some of the leaders in the SWAC are going to be Sean Doss scoring 17.6 points per game at University of Arkansas Pine Bluff. Garrett Hicks at 15.4 points a game at Alabama A&M. Will Douglas 
at Prairie View A&M at 15.0 points per game. Terry Collins from Mississippi Valley State at 14.8. And rounding out the top five is Devin Barnes at 14.6 from Texas Southern. Rebounders are going to be Carl Nicholas at 9.1 from Texas Southern. Carter Garden, Gordon at 7.3 rebounds per game for a uh, Grambling State. I'm sorry. Jalen Bates, 6.3 from FAMU. And Ishmael Pyatt, 6.3 also from Arkansas Pine Bluff. And the assist leaders laying out those dimes are going to be B.J. Bird, 5.6 points a game from Southern. Kylan Milton at 4.8 from Arkansas Pine Bluff. Carl Evans at 3.8 assists per game from Jackson State. Messiah Thompson at 3.5 assists per game from Alabama A&M. And Shondarius Covert at Alabama State with 3.4 assists per game. The SIAC is they're also getting into, they had a game where I think Miles beat Albany State this week. And you also have Central State at Clark, Atlanta, Lemoyne on at Savannah State, Spring Hill at Benedict, and Tuskegee at Allen. The SIC leading scorer is uh, Tony Acopa, 20.6 points a game from Spring Hill, followed by his teammate Vero Kamangabanga at 20.1 points per game. Tavares Oliver from Edward Waters at 19.0 points per game. Miles College's Brodney Battle at 18.8 points a game. And Kentucky State's Jay Morrell at 18 points per game. Relieving rebounders are Malachi McCoy, 10.3 rebounds per game from Benedict. Burrow Kamanga, Spring Hill again, he's from uh, Clearwater, Florida, at 9.3 rebounds per game. Jalen Andrews, 8.0 rebounds per game for Kentucky State. Larry Kumi, 7.8 rebounds per game. Edward Waters and his teammate, Kadarius Crum, with 7.6 rebounds per game. Leading assists, men will be Jay Morrell, excuse me, 4.6 assists per game for Kentucky State. Jesse Payne from Lane, 4.2 assists per game. Andrew Anderson, from Lemoyne Owen at 3.9 assists per game. Brendan Beetleman from Benedict at 3.7, followed by my son Lowe with 3.5 from Fort Valley State University. Now the standings in the SIC are going to be Kentucky State, Followed by Fort Valley State, Lemoyne, Owen, Miles, Tuskegee, Savannah State, Spring Hill, uh, Central State, Lane, Morehouse, Benedict, 
Albany State, Edward Waters, Allen, and rounding out the the, the standings would be Clark Atlanta. <clears throat> Excuse me again. In the DC Gulf Coast, you have Keon K. Dooling with 20.8 points per game from Dillard. D. Craven at 19 points per game from Russ. Trugaloo C. Copeland at 15.2. Dillard's R. Carter at 13.4. And Wiley's D. Williams at 12.7. Leading rebounders in, this, in the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference would be T. Crawford from Dillard at 9.4. C. Woodall from Tougaloo at 8.5. D. Williams from Wiley at 7.8. D. Craven from Rust at 7.8 also. And M. Ashley at 7.7 from our own Fisk University. Mm-hmm. Assist men would be T. Trimble, 4.9. Assist per game from Dillard. C. Copeland at 4.7 from Tougaloo. J. Minter at 4.6 from Wiley. K. Tab at 3.8 from Rust. And D. Fulton with 3.7 from Dillard. Standings there would be uh, Philander Smith is at the top at 10 and 1, followed by Tougaloo at 11 and 0. Only reason Philander Smith is first, they have a conference victory in their 10 wins. Dillard at 8 1, Wiley at 5.6, Russ 4 and 8. 5 and 6, I'm sorry. Russ 4 and 8, Oakwood 2 and 8, Southern University at New Orleans 2 and 8, and Fisk at 1 and 6. Some key games because they get back this week would be Fisk at Oakwood and Russ at Tougaloo. Can I say something there? One of the reasons, sure. uh-huh, and I want I want our listeners to understand this. We uh, place these programs on several platforms, and we hope someone's listening to these stats. Last year, or at least presently, I believe there's only one HBCU player in the NBA, and he's from Tennessee State. Am I correct, Jim? Yes, Robert Covington. Exactly. So we want this information to go out and you never know who's listening. Secondly, there's going to be a league formed this year. It's called the HBCU Professional League, headed by Miss Kimberly Meadows Clark. And uh, we had her on a recent radio show, Mark Jones and Friends, and I'm going to try to get her on our show. But the, it's going to be a professional league formed only from HBCU graduate basketball players or players who have played one year at an HBCU college to give HBCU players some experience at the professional level. And we're going to have her on this show to talk more about that. So it's very important that we always put these stats out there that go to all of our platforms. You never know. Who's listening? And also, Cliff, they're going to play these games on the HBCU campuses in the HBCU League. 
That's it. Exactly. And I believe we're getting some time on um, is it ESPN Plus. We're starting to get some more streamlined of HBCU games. So the exposure from HBCU players, men and women, is very important. And we're just doing our part to make sure we get that out every time we can on the air. Jim. Yes. And I don't know if Byron Allen's uh, empire is going to help, is going to uh, broadcast any of those games as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's very important that we continue to push our HBCU athletics and and from the media perspective in any way that we can. Um, Jim, we're going to take a break and we'll come right back, okay? All righty. All righty. So, Jim, we're going to come back with our special segment, and we're going to ask, we're going to open up the mics and talk about some of the top stories of 2022 in HBCU sports, ranked number 10 through number one by HBCU Game Day. These are the non-Deion Sanders stories. So, Jim, take us through. We're going to start at the bottom. Honorable mention, I have two. One would be a late addition, which would be the hiring of uh, Ed Reed at Bethune-Cookman. Ed Reed is uh, a former... 
player for the Baltimore Ravens, University of Miami grad, and is Hall of Famer, and is taking over at Bethune-Cookman. Now, I'll say this right quick. Dion turned the light, shed the light on HBCU sports, but it's up to us to make that light brighter, and I think that the hiring of people like Ed Reed will do that. The other honorable mention is North Carolina A&T lost their track coach to the University of Tennessee. He had a great program at North Carolina A&T, and he was hired to take over the track program at UT. And he's taken a couple athletes with him, including his son. This is Dwayne Ross Sr., and the new head coach is Alan Johnson. Number 10, Grambling Jim, State on. had... Jim, let's let... Let's let uh, Hunter, Miss Hunter, and Marlowe chime sure. in on the hiring of another NFL coach uh, to the MEAC. Am I right? Bethune Cookman's in the MEAC. Ed Reed. They're in, they're in the SWAC. Also, they're in the SWAC. Okay, so here we go again. And what do they think uh, about that situation and also Deion Sanders' situation? Because that's a big story. Ms. Hunter? It is a big story. Um, I think with Ed Reed, it's a great hire. Uh, I've had the chance to to talk with him a little bit um, and when I was going to the University of Miami. Um, great guy. Um, I believe that that's a, a great, great hire for them. He's so knowledgeable. Um, and you, I think you just love to see it, right? You love to see black coaches come back and, and give back to their communities. Um, and I think honestly, like Bethune Cookman is, is going to be better, a better football program for it. As for Deion Sanders, I mean, there's been so much turmoil with it, but I, I don't mind his decision to leave. I don't. Um, I think that he put, um, that team back on the map and, Honestly, like you, you, you can see that he cares. Even with the the video of his last like pregame speech, right? Like you can see that he cares so much about that team and about those players and and that school. And I think honestly, like you know, he it's time for him to move on to greener pastures. And I think he did what he needed to do in his couple of years. And you know, at this point, like the, that school is going to be better off you know, with him. And I think what's, what's the name of the school he was at? Jackson State. Jackson State. Jackson State. Yeah, I think, I mean, Jackson State is, they put him, they, he put Jackson State back on the map, right? Um, made it such a, a fun environment for, for those players. And I think that um, they're going to be a better football team because of that. Well, well Miss Hardy, you're right. They've had a very strong, uh, signing day. A lot of players did not deter from coming there just because Dion left. They had a very strong signing day last week. So, Coach TC, I think that's his name, the new coach, they're not in bad shape um, and, and to be seen. Marlo, what's your comments on Ed Reed coming to Bethune and also Dion Sanders? I think it's great that um, Ed Reed is there. He's going to open a lot of doors for the students, um, the athletes down there, um, especially at Bethune-Cookman, because you don't really hear a lot about their program. So um, I think he will probably um, just kind of do the same thing that um, Coach Prime did for Jackson State and kind of 
bring some attention to them um, and their athletes in the you know in the schools. Those of us that have attended HBCU uh, knew know about Bethune Cookman, but he would definitely open some doors um, and attention you know to the school. And um, as far as Deion Sanders, um, he was able to uh, increase the attention um, on Jackson State, which of course we all know that uh, we've seen we've seen them in commercials um and which was awesome you know for the school as well as bringing additional attention to hbcus after the vice president kamala harris um actually um brought attention you know to ha with howard um, and that helped to increase the attention to other HBCUs um, along with um, Coach Prime. So we definitely wish him well in Colorado. Um, and he, I, I know that he will always go back to, you know, give them additional um, support. So we just wish them both nothing but the best. All right. Jim, what do you have next? Uh, Grambling State coaching hires and fires. Gramlin State came in on a high after hiring Hugh Jackson to take over his football program, home former uh, NFL coach Hugh Jackson. They came in but looking in the spring looking to make a splash, and they did that by high, having highly embattled head coach Art Bryles of uh, Baylor as his offensive coordinator. The move was criticized by many people, including Grambling legend Doug Williams, and he eventually was fired. Hmm. Meanwhile, one hiring that did go through was coach volleyball coach Chelsea Lucas, who basically dumped her whole team after coming over from Arkansas Pine Bluff. After months of accusations, GSU terminated her employment before the season started, and I believe honored all of those scholarships of the other players other players that have been canned. And Jim, did she get picked up? She got picked up by another school as well to coach, right? This past season in volleyball. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, she did. I, I read up on it. She did get a job uh, somewhere else as well. So it was a tough going at the beginning of volleyball season, but it worked out. Now, Jim, was Coach Lucas an alumnus, alumni of Jackson State? I think I've heard that. Yeah, she was. But um, all right, let's keep going and get another story. But yeah, that was an interesting one, and it's worked out. <laughs> keep going, Jim. Okay, HBCU ballers show off at Rucker Park. Mm -hmm. HBC basket HBCU basketball does not get the love that HBCU football does. But for a couple of days in the summer at Rucker Park, they sure did. HBC United, a group of HBC All-Star alumni led by Norfolk State head coach Robert Jones, won a pair of games in the basketball tournament. Our Wally Pitt had a front row seat and brought the viewers straight to Harlem. I, this is a tournament that's on ESPN that I think if you win, you win a million dollars. Yeah, and I watched the HBC All-Stars won a couple of games in there. Yeah, I watched that, and and uh, anybody that's been up in the New York area that knows about Rutgers Park on 155th Street, the competition is fierce. 
and they yeah. have no respect for you. I don't care if you're pro, but it was great. And I also think it was a great exposure for HBCUs. And they did show that on television and I saw it. It was great for both HBCUs and for Rutgers Park in New York City, for sure. All right, number eight. Can I just chime in? Winston-Salem State. Sure. Sure. Was this the, um, I wasn't sure if, is this the tournament that was, um, was sponsored by the actor Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan? Or was that something different that he, I know he launched um, an HBCU college uh, basketball showcase. Oh, I'm sorry. That was in Newark. I'm sorry. I'm maybe just getting them mixed up. Oh, no. This is something that's been sponsored by ESPN. They get alumnus of various schools to get together and play. And I think it's a 32-team tournament, and the winner comes out winning a million dollars to be split however you want to. I think we need to get in on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim, well, what do you, you have to get Brian and a couple other guys together and, and go in on that, man? <laughs> Maybe the senior now, section league. What do you have next, Jim? Number eight is the Winston-Salem State cheerleaders star in a Sierra video and go to Hollywood. It can be argued that no one team or program in HBC sports had a better year than the Winston-Salem State University cheer squad. <laughs> the powerhouse of red and white. After going viral multiple videos the previous fall, they made an appearance on the real television show in the spring. A few months later, representatives from R&B pop star Sierra reached out to them, flying the squad to Hollywood to be a part of her single jump. The cheer squad continued to be a social media hit, passing 100K follower mark on Instagram, topping 2K, 200K, on TikTok. Wow. Okay. Okay. We have All next right. Jim. Amisha Williams in Jackson State women's basketball. While the football program got a lot of attention, the basketball program had a big year as well. After dominating the women, after dominating the regular season, swept the SEC S SWAT tournament title, earning a 14th seed in a matchup with number three seed. LSU in the women's play, in the women's playoffs. It led late in the game before several questionable calls, but Tamika Reed's squad represented themselves well. Afterwards, Kim Kim Mulkey's comments ruffled a few feathers, but no one can deny the impact was felt. A few months later, Amisha Williams Holiday was selected in WNBA draft by the Indiana Fever, becoming the first star to be selected in draft in twenty years. And also, uh, Dion's daughter, Salome, on the team this year. Yes, she is. Jim, let me say something about Tamika Reed. Before Dion, or while Dion was winning, Coach Reed went three straight years undefeated in SWAC basketball. And nobody paid attention. So there's actually two... Uh, great winning coaches or were on that campus and i'm glad we we're getting to mention her and recognize her and uh she's going to produce some more draft picks for the WNBA as well keep going jim what do you have okay number six swag basketball gets five gets 
Power Five win. The SWAC in the Pac-12 announced the legacy of basketball series early in the year, giving SWAC teams a chance to host teams from Power Five conferences, as well as travel to them. The idea may have seemed like a benevolent gesture at first, but SWAC programs made the best of it, with Grambling, Texas Southern, Prairie View A&M all winning on their home courts, and Southern actually went to California with the, the week to get a win. It was an eye-opening experience showing how far that swag basketball had come. Mm. All right. Okay. What else you have, Jim? All right. Number five. And I stop. If anybody wants to say anything after any of these things, please feel free to go ahead. North Carolina A&T and Hampton land in the CAA. Now, the 2021-22 season was the first year that former uh, MEAG members, North Carolina A&T and Hampton, competed in the Big South. It would be their last as programs announced that they are moved to the Colonial Athletic Association. Hampton joined the league completely in July, while A&T kept football in the Big South for the 2022 season. It will transition all sports minus women's bowling to the CAA. Jim, I want to ask uh, Miss Hunter Hawkins this question about HBCU teams joining majority conferences. Conferences, and um, what does she see? Will that be the way of the future? Is it for better? If it's for worse? I mean, college is a business. Just to give us uh, her insights, because she went to University of Miami, um, what does she think about that as far as HBCUs leaving, majority HBCU conferences, but uh, and joining non-HBCUs? I mean, I, th- I see the pros and cons of both. I think the way to get your name on the map is joining bigger conferences and dominating in those conferences, it um, it can only help you, right? Bolster your identity as a team, identity as a school. Um, I also see like the detriment of leaving the HBCU conferences, right? Because then you're leaving the rest of these teams to kind of scramble and find competition. And But you, you want to be able to, um, to prove yourself in bigger conferences, right? You don't want to stay in one conference that you don't think that you can compete in because how is that fair to your athletes and your coaches who are putting so much time and effort and work into becoming better and competing for championships that you want to be able to put your team and your school's name on a map? Sure. Another school that has joined a conference, we talk about them often, is uh, Tennessee State University. They've joined the OVC some years ago and uh, down in Nashville, Tennessee, and they've done well. And so we want to continue to look at this, but uh, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Hunter. Jim, come on, keep going. Well, Cliff, I want your perspective on it because when we were at Fisk, we started out in the SIAC mm-hmm. and we ended up leaving our junior year mm-hmm. to go into the league with Sewanee, Rose, Holman, and those sorts. How did you feel about it? Well, I, I think it was a great horizon, uh, broadening our horizon. And I also think it'll help 
schools economically. Now we were smaller Division three, but Division two, I think it'll help. Uh, I always said, why don't you keep your non-conference games traditional? Those four or five for football, eight or nine for basketball, and then you can still play in the other conferences, and you can still keep the money uh, 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 traditional games alive. But but do better as far as having broader exposure. So I'm 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 kind of for it. Truth be told. Okay. Number four, we, and you guys did win a championship in that league, didn't you? We played for it. We played for it. We didn't win it, but we played for it. Okay, I thought the shot that you made that Brian was talking about was for the championship, but it was to get to the Are championship we- game. Against Roll Home, and we beat him, but that wasn't for the championship. Okay. Number four, the MEAC stays together. MEAC started the year with the transition of commissioner from Dennis Thomas to Sonia Still. Months into Still's tenure, multiple reports indicated that Howard was preparing to make the move to the CAA, which had just landed Hampton and North Carolina A&T. Ultimately, the league kept HU in the fold and found a partnership with the NEC to help baseball programs be eligible to compete for a playoff auto bid. Along with yet another win in the C- against the SWAC in the Celebration Bowl, the conference looked to have new life heading into 2023. What do you guys think about that? Do you think that they should try to get a super conference with the SWAC? You may repeat that, Jim. I had a little static in the line. I think they should try to create a super conference with the SWAC or stay in the MEAC. Because the MEAC has had not only Hampton, North Carolina A&T, they've had Savannah State leave. They've had FAMU and uh, Bethune-Cookman leave for the uh, SWAC. So they've well, had five members leave. I'll tell you what I'm afraid of, Jim. As they NCAA rates the different conferences, it won't work out as well for two HBCU conferences to combine. For instance, in the NCAA tournament, the MEAC gets an automatic bid and the SWAC gets the automatic bid. If you combine those conferences, it doesn't mean now that two or three or four will get in the big dance, like if the Big Ten combined with somebody and i think that we can find ourselves on the outside looking in so in that respect i think they the hbcus should not do a mega conference okay excuse me number three four hbcu nfl draftees much noise was made in 2021 when no HBCU players were selected in the draft. The year 2022 is a different story with total of four HBCU athletes, Josh Williams, Fayetteville State, Jacoby Durant, South Dakota State, James Houston, Jackson State, and Tyree Carter Southern were all selected to the NFL draft. A number of players were signed as undrafted free agents, as per usual, but it's good to hear names players actually called on the podium. And to go further with James Houston, James Houston just set a record yesterday 
with getting 7.5 sacks in the first six games. No rookie has ever had that many sacks that quick. So hopefully their success will yeah. bring on even more success for HBCU draftees in 2023. Your thoughts? And I'm gonna ask Marlo and Miss Hunter to, to to even comment on the football, but uh, it's gonna be more than four this year. Number one, much more exposure on TV. If you saw the amount of HBCU games televised this year at Division Two and Division One level, that exposure, the the um, the scouts in the NFL are gonna go after those players. And Jim, we've been highlighting Isaiah Land out of FAMU. Miller out of Jackson State, the offensive tackle can't remember his name out of Arkansas Pine Bluff. Those are just a few. There will be, I think, six to seven that get drafted and make a team this year. They may not go in the first round, but they're going to be in that league this year. Yeah. Marlo? BCU has a tight end, Kamari Avery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I uh, definitely agree with that. I agree that the, since they've gotten a much more exposure. Um, the the athletes that definitely will have a better chance of, you know, getting drafted. Ms. Hunter? I mean, I agree, and I, I love to see it, right? Like, you just love to see HBCUs finally getting exposure and getting players into the league to show that they can make something of themselves, especially because you, you have teams like Alabama and LSU and, you know, University of Miami, like all of these big-name teams, Clemson. Um, that's all you ever hear about in the draft. And then you, the, the other teams are flying under the radar, and it's like there's talent elsewhere. You've just got to, like, really sit down and look. Um, and so I think those players getting drafted is only going to help bolster the HBCU community um, and getting more money into their programs and bringing in more talented kids, and then you just start the cycle from there. Wonderful. Jim, what do you have next? Yeah, even though Shador Sanders will be drafted ultimately out of Colorado, he, I believe, had a chance to be a first, I think, I believe him, the first first round draft choice since Steve McNair in 1994. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes. We wish Shador nothing but luck. But I think that this is going to be a growing number for the next couple of years of HBCU players in the NFL draft. Number two, in North Carolina Central knocks off Jackson State in a celebration bowl thriller. Inevitable. North North Carolina State ended the season. No, I'm sorry. North Carolina State entered the season under the radar. We left them out of our top 10, HBCU game day said. But it finished the season on top. It took the nation's top-rated defense and put up 41 points in a thrilling overtime victory that also had memorable performances from Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter in their final games as Jackson State played. You know, the SWAC has come in with a lot of talk, but they are, in the last two years, 0-2 in the Celebration Bowl game. Well, Jim, inevitably, I thought it was a great chance of that happening. Um, First of all, that quarterback, I can't remember his name, for North Carolina Central can play. Okay? Yes. But 
there's no way you can t- you can't tell me the distractions with Dion going to Colorado. Some of the players you're going to play in that bowl with, you know, are leaving with them instead of coming back together. Even though it, it, football is such a team game that any crack in that teamhood or loyalty going against another team that's great is going to show up. And uh, I think you take away the Dion distraction and he was coming back for real this next year, I think Jackson State would have won the game. But that's the way it goes. Yeah, I think any time that you have – well, this is your last game of Jackson State. How do you feel about it? Everybody asking you that, it wears on you. And there was a time when they weren't going to let Dion coach, then they decided to let him coach. So, yeah, you know, that whole distraction, I think, cost them. Yep. Yep. One more, Jim. One more. And number one, Byron Allen secures HBCU Go media rights. Perhaps the biggest moment of the year in HBCU sports didn't happen on a field or a court. Television mogul Byron Allen purchased HBCU streaming service HBCU Go late in 2021, setting a stage for a major shift of the amount of HBCU program available and the profitability of it. HBCU Go linked up with the SWAC first, snatching up secondary rights to games that weren't earmarked for ESPN or in case of the Bayou Classic NBC. The deal is reportedly worth $100 million over the course of a decade. The coverage will extend to the basketball season and into other HBCU conferences with the CIAA basketball game on tap starting in January. Jim, I had a chance to hear him about five years ago speak at the Black Enterprise Conference, and he talked about going from it being in front of the camera to now getting behind the camera and making big differences. Little did I know that five years later, he would be such a game changer for HBCUs. And uh, that move he's made and is making is a big game changer. And I think uh, HBCU athletics is going to be nothing but the better for it. And that's why I think more of our players will be going to the NFL and the NBA very soon. And I want Ms. Hunter and Ms. Kemp to chime in on this one before we get ready to close it out. About Byron uh, uh, Byron Allen? Out. Yes. Oh, yes. He's definitely... Um... Um, a, a heavy hitter, um, and it's I think it's wonderful that um, that he is connected. Um, he's using his resources to connect with HBCUs and to definitely um, elevate the platform. Um, in addition to all the other networks, um, you know that he owns that a lot of people don't really know about. So I think it's um, uh, wonderful that he's definitely involved and will help to elevate you know the HBCU program. I'd have to, yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, only good can come from this, right? And I think 
at the end of the day, when you've got people who are so willing to put their money and time and effort into HBCUs and putting them on the map, it's only going to to be better for the athletes and the schools at the end of the day, just getting more funding and, and being able to continue to, to thrive and to make a name for themselves. Thank you so much. Team, we've gone a little over tonight, but it's been more than worth it. And I just want to remind you, next week, two great interviews coming. Terry Williams, soon to be Dr. Terry Williams, and Kenny Anderson, back to back. Now, we cover HBCUs and the best of women's athletics. But if you want to hear some great coverage for the NBA, NFL, hockey sometime, Big 10, Big 12, Jim, let's let our audience know where they can get some more of this great information on sports this week, Jim. On Wednesdays from 9 to 11. Oh, I'm sorry. I need to unmute my mic. You're good. Uh, Okay. On Wednesdays from 9 to 11 on Superstation 910 AM on Facebook Live, iHeartRadio, We have a show called Mark Jones and Friends, which we go over the sports topics of the week. Wednesdays, 9 to 11 on Facebook Live, Superstation 9, 10 a.m. iTunes, iHeartRadio and iTunes, not iTunes, uh, TuneIn Radio. I'm sorry. We talk these things on Mark Jones and Friends. So if you can, listen, please. Sounds great. We want to thank everyone so much. A great show tonight. And we look forward to having everybody back next week, 168 hours from now. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you from Cliff Burton Friends. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.